0: Welcome to the Hell Project podcast. This is where I share all of the results of the research and reading that I've done on the doctrine of hell over the last few years. Uh, I defend the view that uh, without Jesus we are all dead. Uh, This is the view called conditionalism and I believe there's better news in it than the traditional understanding of hell. And I try to defend that here the audio quality may not be that high as it's taken off my youtube channel and unfortunately some of the streams do have technical glitches but i hope that you stick with it and uh, do let me know what you think share uh, get involved through twitter or even comment on my youtube channel i look forward to hearing back from you enjoy the show Hello and welcome to another live stream from me, the Phil Duncalf at the Hell Project. Um, hi Ben, let me know if you can hear me. Right, okay, so I know I can hear myself, you might hear an echo, and I think all the tech is now sorted. I'm testing out a new, well, second hand camera, and uh, just thought I would respond to an article that's come up and um, talk about hell for a few minutes see if anyone comes online uh, answer a few questions if there are any and then see where it goes probably spend the rest of my evening watching TV or something Um, so this was shared on the Rethinking Hell group that I'm part of on Facebook it's quite a nice article uh, quite friendly towards annihilationism uh, or conditional immortality um, so I thought I'd just go through it really. It's the first time I responded to an article on this channel. Um, we'll see if it works. If it doesn't, then I probably won't do it again. But let's see how it goes. If you guys on the chat have anything that I've missed, I'll uh see, see where it takes us. So Joshua Sharp has written for the thebaptiststandard.com. I've put the link in the YouTube description and uh. He goes through, it's an interesting start, this is a brand new article uh, from this last week and yet his first reference is to Rob Bell's uh, book Love Wins in 2011. For me that is a little bit of a warning sign that he hasn't necessarily engaged in the debate that much since then, I mean a lot has moved on since 2011. Um, Raising Hell was written in response to Love Wins and one of those authors is now holding to a different view, so quite a lot has changed. and we'll see where where he takes this he does i think uh i'm not sure about you ben and chris in the chat think he does define annihilationism fairly well so he defines it as the traditional doctrine of hell held by most christians throughout uh the ages claims all who reject christ ultimately suffer eternal conscious torment i'm quite interested that he, he uses that phrase to define his own uh traditional view And then he goes on to annihilationism, by contrast, claims the wicked who reject Christ ultimately are destroyed, ceasing to exist. Uh, While there is a time of conscious torment in hell, perhaps for a very long time, the eventual result of this torment is complete destruction. I think that's a fairly um, interesting view. And it's it's interesting you you note that, Ben, that he was annihilationist in college. So I guess if he's held the view that that at least um, explains why he's given a good... Uh, positive definition sometimes even just the definition of annihilationism goes awry and uh, then you're unpicking a definition rather than the arguments Um, so i think this is quite fair Um, i do find it interesting ben then if he was an annihilationist first um, I i do wonder how he was convinced through scripture for the eternal conscious torment view um maybe if he for whatever reason finds this youtube and would like to discuss it uh online i'd I'd love to have a chat um i'm I'm interested how people persuaded away from uh, at least conditional immortality and uh, the way that i have um, come from the traditional view myself to understand conditional mortality to be the The biblical view. So um, he then goes on to say, really kindly, that this isn't an emotional argument. There's so many uh, discussions I've had where uh, those who um, think annihilationism is heresy will say that it's the kinder option, um, and therefore those who hold to the view that we do must believe it on emotional grounds. Now. I admit I do see mercy in the conditional immortality view. Uh, I do believe God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. And therefore, uh, conditional immortality is quite a, I think, a more positive view on God's character. Um, And I've come to that view through how scripture talks about judgment. Not necessarily because um, I find the view of eternal conscious torment uncomfortable. Though, I will admit, when I was... Presenting that view to Christians and non Christians uh, a few years ago, eternal conscious torment was like a a mild toothache when it came to uh, doctrines. I didn't particularly uh, like it. I don't think any Christian can or should argue that they like it, but they, um, but it, yeah, I I feel like when I came to conditional immortality, I had a very scriptural foundation to. Pull the tooth that ached, <laughs> if that uh, analogy makes any sense at all. So I, I think it, there is an emotional argument that can be made, but I don't think that's necessarily one to be had. Um, I don't think it wins any favours uh, or is going to persuade anyone, especially if you hold to the soul of Scripture or a view that... Uh, Scripture has weight and has authority, and we all of it is God-breathed, and that is what we should hold views, whether or not they make us uncomfortable uh, or not, that the Bible should be where we hold uh, our views. So, um why I believe it? Yeah, I agree, there's a lot. Of, so, he, he talks about, first, much of the New Testament language about the final judgment of the wicked centers on destruction, so I completely agree with that. Frequently, when the New Testament talks about the fate of unbelievers... Suggest destruction, not perpetual conscious pain. Um, agreed. I'm, I'm happy with that. So that's, that's a good first. I think the weight of scripture and the amount of scripture that talks about destruction. Um, I'm just looking at Psalm 37. Uh, I don't actually have that up at the moment. But there there is a large proportion of the text that talks about uh, burnt up, chaff in the wind, that destruction is destruction. That there will be no more of the wicked. Uh, so I'm happy with that. That's a good first argument. I'll take it. Um, second, the Bible teaches that humans are not inherently immortal. We do not automatically live forever. Many Christians have believed in an immortal soul, soul but that is hard to sustain from Scripture. Again, that is a very good argument. I wrote, um, well, the very first essay that I wrote on this, a 35-page uh, document you can read on the hellproject.online, the website that accompanies this YouTube channel. Um that is the first major argument i actually make is that there's not much in scripture to sustain the argument that humans live on uh, for eternity i don't tend to argue that anymore as the first argument just because you can go down a rabbit hole of talking about what the soul is and um, i ended up getting myself a bit confused in that area anyway so that's that's a whole nother conversation i genuinely wouldn't argue it unless it came up Um, in conversation around this um, topic so then we go on a third argument this is where i sort of i think he derails uh the conversation a little bit the greek word for eternal ionios doesn't necessarily mean perpetual duration it also can mean something more like permanent or the age to come so even when the bible says the phrase eternal punishment it could mean simply punishment that is permanent or punishment characteristic of the age to come now this is an argument that i don't think anyone I've come across, at least in this, uh, in the last couple of years, it is one that conditional mortality might argue. I've seen it used for eternal, sorry, universalism. I've seen it argued that ionios is a misunderstood term, and therefore we should look at it as about uh, talking about the age to come. Now, there are some areas that that could be correct, especially when talking about Jude seven and uh, the eternal fire that burns up Sodom and Gomorrah isn't eternally burning and therefore the eternal the ionios in that statement could be from the age to come i'm happy with that but overall when we're talking about eternal punishment um i don't argue with the general definition of ionios that it's ongoing especially when looking at matthew 25 so if i just flick over to matthew 25 we'll see how my internet handles all of this so at the end of matthew 25 we have Oh, for some reason that's jumped to Matthew nine. Let me just jump back to to that. Uh, where are we going? Matthew twenty-five. Right, we go down to the end of that, where it talks about the final judgment. So, in verse forty-six, we have, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So. Eternal life uh, is ongoing and perpetual, and therefore the eternal punishment should also be. That is a a fine argument. Um, And so um, I'm happy with eternal continuing on having a perpetual uh, ongoing nature. I think that's a good use of Ionios uh, as far as my Greek understanding goes. I am, as I've said in other videos, very reliant on others' uh, expertise when it comes to that. So I, I don't want to change something that translators have used because they their understanding of the original language is far better than mine uh, and therefore I am happy to continue that. And why I'm also happy to continue that and this is an argument that I've probably picked up from Rethinking Hell and watching Chris date uh, as you're on the chat as well. you he can help me with this uh, discussion potentially. But I find it really interesting to go into Hebrews and seeing all the times that eternal is used with other words now i have gone back and and highlighted some of this but it seems to have refreshed itself and lost the there we go that's what i'm looking for verse 9 so in hebrews 5 verse 9 and being made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him now his eternal salvation continues uh ongoing It's potentially not easy to argue that that is helpful at this point but i'm going to go keep going through hebrews and in Hebrews 6, uh, uh it's gone. We are looking for the word eternal, so let me just search for that because it's reset the page and uh eternal. There we go. There we go. Eternal judgment. So eternal judgment is something that is per- perpetual, I guess, but we don't believe that judgment is going to be a moment that continues perpetually. The effect of the judgment is going to continue perpetually, but judgment happens once. It happens before the throne, and then the impact of that judgment is eternal. And that is uh, a fairly orthodox view of eternal judgment, I believe, from Hebrews uh, 6. And then we also have, uh, and that's refreshed, Uh, there's a few other words. Uh, I have done this. If you watch my seminar on the good news of hell, I have talked about this a little bit in answer to one of the Q&A questions. Um, and I'm going to have to search for eternal again. There we go. Eternal covenant. So the eternal covenant, again, the covenant happens once and the effect is perpetual. So that's how us, we, uh, those of us who argue that Ionios is a perpetual ongoing um a good definition of Ionios, we would argue that the punishment is a one-time and then an end, but the impact is ongoing. Uh, so I'm just going to read, see how we, how I'm doing here, Chris and, and Ben. Uh, so eternal salvation eternal redemption are two good examples. Um, all refer to things that happen at one time but have eternal results. That's exactly how I would argue it um, and uh, would highly yeah i recommend looking through hebrews and seeing how that works there's also eternal inheritance we gain our inheritance with perpetual ongoing results but we gain it once Um, and so that's how we see eternal punishment you get punished and there's an eternal impact um so um and chris that's a that's a great comment yeah the the judging lasts for a short period of time the result of the process of the judgment and last forever. And that makes sense of the language so much more. I We would probably expect, and I've heard this argument used, I haven't used it too much myself, but we'd probably expect it to be eternal punishing, In at least in English. I don't know how that works with Ionios, but we'd expect it to be punishing if the punishment was to continue uh, eternally. So death makes a good answer to eternal punishment. It is a one moment that has eternal consequences that you don't come back from. And that's what we'd argue is the wages of sin from Romans 623. So I return back to the original argument. So that I don't argue against Ionios and I've seen that come up quite a lot. Um maybe it's because he's referred to the universalist argument from Rob Bell and then applied that to his own experience as annihilationist in the past. Um I wouldn't argue that. my. Th- My go-to argument when it comes to conditional mortality is that uh, Revelation 21, 4, as well as Isaiah 25, talks about a new creation where there's no more pain, no more death, no more mourning, no more grief. Nothing connected with death will exist in the new creation. Now, if there is a sense of eternal punishment in the sense of eternal conscious torment, then that means there is some realm where an ongoing death occurs in the new creation and that makes no sense of revelation 21.4 it makes no sense of isaiah 25.6 to 9 and i think also it makes no sense of revelation 20 we see the only other realm that the bible teaches about hades we see that destroyed in the lake of fire so there's no place for the dead to be And so for someone to say that there is an ongoing place, an ongoing realm of eternal conscious torment, they have to create a new realm. Now, some might create the lake of fire, but that's reading into the text to do that. Uh, There's no sense of uh, the lake of fire being a new realm. In fact, it could quite likely link back to uh, Jesus's teaching on Gehenna, because that's what happens after judgment, that those who face judgment will go to Gehenna. Gehenna is the Valley of Hinnom outside Jerusalem, the symbol of ultimate destruction from Jeremiah 19, where it will be called the Valley of Slaughter. Mark 9 also connects Gehenna to Isaiah 66, 24, which is the Valley of Corpses. So the Valley of Death, and that is on that is a place on earth, not a new realm or a new location. And, and so I think that is one of, the, if not the strongest argument, is that the promise, the gospel of life and eternal life is an eternal life with Christ with heaven coming to earth in revelation 21 4 and it's a new creation we are all going to be new creations and that's going to be awesome i'm looking forward to that good news um but there's not going to be a realm of eternal torment within that i don't see it in scripture and i think you have to read that view into scripture because of the weight of the traditional argument i can see why people do that but i can't any longer see it in scripture and uh, if you can feel free to engage and discuss it but that that is the weight of scripture uh, for me so um just catching up with the the chat there uh so not necessarily nouns like these can often refer to the process or to the result think translation for example okay so my argument that punishing punishment may not be a good argument there i'm i'm happy with that but i think um in terms of eternal, I think we can continue to use that argument uh, that I, I pointed to before. Um, Chris and Ben, uh, as you're engaging with this, uh, if you have any other arguments you've put in your top three, I'd be interested to know what your top three is. But my, my new creation, uh, or God's new creation, uh, is one of my, my top, uh, maybe even my top one at the moment. Okay, so we'll we'll go back to the article. So we've got challenges to annihilationism. So we've seen annihilationism cannot be dismissed simply as wishful thinking prompted by sentimentality or a weak stomach. Now, I really appreciate the tone of this article and uh, that Joshua is wanting to engage in the scriptural basis of this rather than emotional arguments. I've recently been uh, interacting with some people about about hell and the amount of times I have to defend that this is a scriptural view, not one I've come out of uh, through emotion. Um, it's it's refreshing to hear someone writing in this way. Um, <laughs> yeah, Chris, I just looked at it, saw your, uh, your comment. How did I miss that one? Yeah, the atonement. The atonement's a pretty good argument. I'll, I'll grant you that one. That should be up there. Christ died. Um, I love that uh, Acts is never used by... Um, the book of Acts is never used by a traditionalist arguing for hell and yet uh, conditional immortality can use Acts where it says you've killed the author of life and um, he took our punishment. He took our sin because Christ died. That, I like that. Uh, I'm not sure how I missed that. <laughs> anyway, that, that, maybe I'll put that as uh, number one and new creation is number two. That's probably uh, what I'll go with. So Now, the first, his responses are quite interesting. The first, the language of destruction... I was hoping for some stronger responses, but this this one 's quite interesting, including how it often is used in the bible doesn 't necessarily require non existence Now when I hear that argument now I, I feel that Joshua might not have engaged in the strongest arguments for conditional mortality, and the reason I say that is because i 've seen so many people confuse annihilationism with non existence. I'm quite happy with the term non-existence myself. I'm not quite 100% certain why there's a hang up on this phrase. But the Bible talks about ruin and irreparably damaged and non-functional in Matthew 9:17. And so we could speak of those suffering eternally in hell as being destroyed while still technically existing. Now, I've not heard a convincing answer to the question of what a ruined human looks like or an irreparably damaged and non-functional human would look like for me a ruined or non-functional human sounds like a corpse it sounds like ash maybe someone burnt up it uh sounds like um yeah a body is dead there's nothing there in the sense of a functional human so I don't understand this argument at all. It's it's a really strange one that someone who is ruined could exist. I think you have to read something into that. Now, looking at uh, uh Yeah, so uh the point in in 917 is ruined wineskins. Now, when we're talking about ruined and lost wineskins, well, they're not they're not functional wineskins. Um I find it weird that Traditionists often refer to this and and the lost coin as their definition of destroy. Now when you read Matthew ten twenty eight, it says in relation to not being killed, our body not being killed by those who persecute us, we're to fear the one who can kill body and soul. Now if you're a dualist, I do lean dualist myself, um, whatever happens to the body happens to the soul. Because they're, they're together, the they're God or the one who can destroy both body and soul. The sentence structure shows that they're together and they're both destroyed. What happens to one happens to the other. So if our image is a killed body, God can kill both body and soul. It makes sense of the language, kill, destroy, to be connected. And yet for some reason, a traditionalist will argue from the lost coin or the burst wineskin that that should be the definition of destroy in matthew 20, 10 28, when the context clearly says destruction is linked to death which is linked to being killed i, I really struggle to empathize with the argument that we should then use a ruined wineskin as our definition for a ruined person um so it's a, it's a bit of an odd exegetical leap in my opinion to pull Uh, ruined wineskin for ruined human the two things are completely different one is a human one is a wineskin Anyway, if you 're going to use ruin, a ruined human is a corpse in my opinion, and therefore we can stick with that i don 't need to argue non existence The Bible doesn't necessarily argue non existence although i if I remember correctly psalm thirty seven says the wicked will be no more i 'm quite happy with non existence The angels celebrate that Babylon will be no more and yet celebrate the smoke of the torment will go up forever and ever so or that the smoke from her will go up forever. I stuck torment in revelation. 19 by accident there so we can we can say there'll be no more they we can say they'll die they, we can say they'll be annihilated but it's the traditionalist that's reading non-existence into this i'm quite happy that the dead are dead they're corpses um you have to then read existence into that position so uh Cool, I'm, I'm, we're in agreement, Ben, Chris. Uh, thanks for engaging with that. I'm going to keep going for the um, second, but if you have anything I've missed from, from that first one, feel free to uh, engage and I'll come back to it. So second, even if there is no such thing as an immortal soul, this does not render the traditional doctrine of hell impossible. There are biblical references to the resurrection of judgment, John five twenty eight twenty nine 29, which could mean God grants a form of immortality to those suffering eternally in hell. Now again, this, this argument, I can... St- even just saying res- resurrection of judgment, like immortality could be read into this, means I, d- I don't think Joshua is engaged in the strongest arguments. So my response to this is, let's well, let's look at resurrection of judgment. So resurrection of judgment in John 5. Uh, what was the reference he gave me? John 5, 28 to 29. So I'll go 28 to 29. I have got it here do not marvel this for an hour is coming when all who are into the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment well my first go-to on this is this is connected to daniel twelve two. It is a clear echo of a double resurrection of the righteous and the wicked so let's go to daniel twelve two back in the old testament and we have and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to a shame and everlasting contempt. Now, often in the traditional argument, the everlasting is shifted to be everlasting shame and contempt, but it's really important to see where the everlasting is placed. Shame, as is often argued by you, Chris, and I, I have, have you to thank for pointing this out because it, it makes far more sense looking at this. Shame is felt by those, the wicked, when they are alive. <laughs> but if we then read everlasting contempt everlasting contempt is felt by those looking on and we can see that because contempt is the same phrase the same word or the same backing as abhorrence from Isaiah 66:24 and so we look at Isaiah 66:24 what happens to those righteous looking on and what are they looking on they are looking at the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against god and their worm shall not die their fire shall not be quenched and they shall be an abhorrence and abhorrence is what the righteous feel when they look at the wicked dead and it's the contempt the everlasting contempt we will feel contempt we probably all feel contempt for hitler we're quite probably glad that he's dead that's kind of what we will feel i think to those who have rejected god and you have to read immortality into these texts when they're clearly talking about dead people and it's you have to really read into it to think that isaiah was referencing some sort of animated corpse in this which i think danny burke does in the four views of hell he reads consciousness into this and again there's no reason to do that none at all unless you already hold to a view of immortal immortality of the soul and if you do that as joshua has already argued it's very hard to do that from scripture you have to hold to tradition to hold to an Im- immortal soul only god is immortal he grants immortality through christ his son only and we see that over and over and over again that immortality is conditional to belief in christ john three sixteen is the perfect example of that and so joshua i think your second argument here Fails because we have verses that are quite clearly against any form of immortality for those who are against God. So I'm going to go back to the chat just to check that uh, um, all good. So thanks, Chris. Just to emphasize, the same Hebrew word from abhorrence and contempt is only used in those two passages. So that connection is quite makes it even more weighty. Um, cool yeah thanks guys for for engaging Um, so the third one he then goes on to Ionios which I've already said I'm not arguing against Uh, and then we go on to fourth there are some biblical references to the fate of unbelievers being eternal conscious torment for example much of New Testament language may be destruction but the language of eternal conscious torment is there too Whew, right, so we're into Revelation 14. I'm glad you're on here, Chris. Maybe I should have done my interview with you uh, here, but actually I'm actually talking to Chris live on the 26th of January. If you're still free, Chris, let me know if that's uh, right or wrong. Maybe we can hold this discussion around Revelation 14 for when I talk to you. Um, I'm just going to give a very brief summary of how I've come to th- see this. Um, I think Revelation 14 does need some time and as does revelation 20 but what i won't grant is that we should filter the entirety of the bible through two fairly difficult verses in revelation if that's how you view scripture i would argue that you you might need to reconsider how you do that revelation fourteen nine to 11 is uh i haven't actually put this pre-prepared um Luke twenty thirty five to thirty six. Um, great, thanks, Chris. We'll, we'll, I will hold the major conversation about Revelation fourteen. Um, let me just get Revelation fourteen. We'll look at we'll look at it once, and then um, I'll just show my very brief argument if this comes up, uh, and then we can have a bit of a bigger conversation in a couple of weeks time so that was a nice little plug to our our conversation chris i'm looking forward to that so revelation 14 9-11 and another angel a third followed them, saying with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand he will also drink the wine of god's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever they have no rest day or night these worshippers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name now my first go-to is who is this talking about and it's definitely not talking about all unbelievers it's talking about uh anyone who worships the beast so you've got to unpick that uh you've got to unpick a mark on the forehead. Now, that's generally connected to uh, Nero, as far as um, I understand. Um, but even so, that is debated. Uh, so we've got to wrestle with that. Um, and then we have these images of wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup. He will be tormented with fire and sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and the Prince of the Lamb. Now, I also point out this is in the presence of the Lamb. Oftentimes traditionists will get confused as to whether you're separated from God when you die or if you're tormented forever in his presence. and this here doesn't make it any easier for the traditionist as it does for my position. So this isn't an easy passage, but what I do know is that the symbols here in Revelation 14 are translated later or sorry interpreted later by John in Revelation 18. And 19 and just a summary very quickly the symbols that you see in Revelation 14 are then used against Babylon Babylon the harlot uh, Receives the wine the cup of fury is burnt out and you have this whole long Oh, Whoops, I've gone too far Revelation 18 uh, You have uh, the all of the images of drink, of wine, of everything being poured out on her, the face the face of God's wrath. Uh, and all the way down, basically, you end up with this chorus basically saying, Babylon will be no more. They'll be empty. Everything in it will be no more, be no more, be no more. You will shine no more. There'll be no more of you and the result of that in revelation 193 what do we hear we see the angels singing the smoke from her goes up forever and ever well babylon will be no more yet the smoke of her from her goes up forever and ever it sounds like the smoke of her going up forever and ever is some sort of celebration some sort of idiom of babylon being no more it would make sense that that is the case and there are some nice references to isaiah 34 off the top of my head which talks about edom and the smoke from her going up forever and ever and edom is no more they found the ruins of it and going back to the word ruin there is no more edom yet the ruins remain so that says to me that ruin means destroyed destroyed means dead there is nothing in it anymore other than something we can look on with abhorrence and contempt all these lang all this language. For me, it points to ultimate destruction of the wicked. There will be no more in the new creation, and hence why I think that's one of the best arguments for conditional immortality. Um, right, some comments about Revelation. Uh, <laughs> right, of course, Yeah, looking forward to the conversation with Chris. Uh, per Revelation, Robert Peterson said about Peter's description of the destruction of S- Sodom and Gomorrah, So, Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, uh, I'm not quite sure if I've read that correctly. Ben, taking in isolation, it is possible to understand Peter's words as teaching annihilationism. Nevertheless, we ought not to do so. It is better to take Peter's words as more generally predicting the downfall of the wicked than to understand them as foretelling their precise fate reduction to ashes. I think, yes. uh, I, I I do remember reading that from Robert Peterson. Basically, though you can read annihilationism in 2 Peter it's best not to that's generally the argument <laughs> of that one uh it's best not to because of revelation well revelation and there's a really good uh, if you go onto rightreason.org i had a really good conversation with uh Glenn Dr Glenn Peoples uh a couple weeks ago and uh, on his blog he has a really good example of how the argument uh, against traditionalism often goes so you're given texts a b c d and e uh, the traditionalist will say well a on the face of it means annihilationism but actually you can take it to mean uh, eternal conscious torment because of b c d and e and then when the annihilationist proves that a doesn't mean uh, traditional view. We move on to text B, and the traditionalists will use text A again to prove text B means traditionalism. And it's this constant cycle of reusing other verses to prove other verses, even if you prove each one individually doesn't mean eternal conscious torment. Go on to rightreason.org, find that article, it's brilliant, and it is very much a picture of some of the conversations I've had already in my. Uh, what i'd say early days of arguing for conditional immortality so and i like i like the comment ben if if the traditionists can argue like that for uh to peter maybe we can argue that for revelation i think there are big bigger and better arguments but you you are right maybe we can use their rules when we do that i prefer better arguments personally i'm sure you would too and uh with our interactions online i know that you do so um that's pretty much the article really so basically the argument is annihilationism is good well not good sorry annihilationism is an error but not on a heresy so he's, he's being fairly friendly i i, I guess i f- i feel like that about ect really so that's fair um the Bible never presents this precise issue as an essential part of the gospel. I agree. And embracing annihilationism is very different than denying final judgment or held together. So that's, that's kind and gracious and uh, I will respond in kind. Uh, I think that's fine. We can disagree. What I have started disagreeing with when it comes to comments like this is... Oftentimes, mystery is then thrown out there that this will remain a debate that goes on forever and ever. Now, I agree there are some debates we will not resolve this side of heaven. I think uh, the case for Calvinism and Arminism that has definitely carried on for a long time. Um, I'm on the fence for that, by the way, uh, Chris. I know you're not, but <laughs> that's where I am. I'll probably lean Reformed. So there we go. Um, and then there are other debates but i think actually scripture behind conditional mortality annihilation is probably the strongest case for most it's stronger than most doctrines that we have Uh, you can find in almost every single book of the bible a verse that will talk about the end of the wicked Uh, and unless you read the bible through revelation i think you come to the conclusion if you were to read genesis to jude you'll come out annihilationist uh and therefore revelation we need to handle carefully if it suddenly contradicts the rest of scripture so that's that's my opinion i genuinely believe that without christ we are all dead and that's what i defend on this channel and so i think there are strong reasons to read read revelation 20 and revelation 14 uh better than what is often presented I don't know if I've convinced you from Revelation but at least hopefully the rest of this article I hope has been helpful I've just realised I've had my earpiece in this whole time and I haven't actually needed it for this argument so I'm going to I'm gonna put it down um, and the final bit I have no doubt that evangelical annihilationists genuinely are trying to be faithful to scripture and I commend that but I believe that faithfulness is expressed best through adherence to the traditional view of hell not alternative perspectives Um, So that conclusion, I think, fails when you look at the weight of the scripture and you look at where the language connects up in so many ways. Um, Even in his own argument for traditionalism, I think you're better viewing John 5 and uh, the ruined wineskin through the lens of conditional immortality. So there we go. Uh, I thought that would have been a shorter stream than it was, but uh, that's taken us to... Uh, A good little amount of time. Um, Cool. So Ben, Chris, anything else to add? If not, I will close off the stream and uh, we can then go on our merry ways and I'll see you all on the 26th. I will set up a reminder on this channel fairly soon that Chris Day and I will be talking about Revelation as well as some other things. He's starting to specialise, I think, starting to, probably already, uh, into Old Testament um, and and Hebrew I think so I'm looking forward to a really good conversation in a couple of weeks time Um. so Chris says I'd say the same, faithfulness is expressed best through adherence to conditional immortality not alternative perspectives including eternal torment and Ben Davison says good hob thank you, I'm not sure what a hob is but I'll take it <laughs> cool, uh, thanks guys thanks for engaging and Thank you for listening and i want to know what you think do you get in touch as i said at the beginning of this podcast you can do that through uh, twitter or my youtube channel but i also have the scripts and free resources and other studies that i'm continuing to engage with at uh, thehellproject.online thank you so much for listening if you'd like to support the channel and uh, the show in any way please do go into the description of this episode and you can find a paypal link otherwise i do this all for free and i hope you found it helpful god bless you see you later